I'm Sean Bowles, and I want to welcome you to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have a passion for how the prophetic gifts can change the world around us. They make simple, everyday people like you and I a catalyst for life-changing experiences with the supernatural. On this podcast, I have friends from all different backgrounds who each have a powerful story to tell about how the prophetic is shaping their world. I invite you to be part of the conversation. This is Exploring the Prophetic. Today on Exploring the Prophetic, we have Wesley Wright, and Wesley is one of my long-term, lifelong best friends' husbands, who has now become one of my best friends as well, in the UK. And Wesley and his wife are just so fascinating, because they both had incredible God encounters, but it's led to very different results than the average God encounters. A lot of times when people have God encounters, it builds bigger churches or builds you know, a revival movement in the context of ministry. But Wesley's in particular is really wild because he comes from a police officer, like highly decorated police officer background. And he, and he went into um, the system of money and law, the, the laws behind money. He's a brilliant theorist. He's also not just a philosopher, though, because they're actually doing some of the things that they're talking about. He's a reformer, though, in the financial uh, realm. And he's helping to lead a reformation movement within the financial sector, specifically in the UK, but also worldwide. So he's been an expert in working with people, individuals, churches, groups, of not being a slave to debt anymore. He's an abolitionist to, to debt slavery, which I think is a really cool term because debt slavery actually impacts and affects our ability to enter into what John 10.10 the real life that God's called us to. So I think of this and I think of how in my own life, how so many times we're discipling people or I'm giving words to people or they're they're having encounters. And so many times the encounters are limited by our capacity to produce finances or resources in our life. As a matter of fact, when my wife and I were buying our property that we, we currently live in, it was a miracle property. And I remember God was saying, spoke to us a number of words from people to us about this property. And at one point I remember just going, I just don't know if I could believe for that big of a property right now. Like maybe that's 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but we had you guys dozens of proper prophecies about this property. And I remember one, at one point it was in, in July, um, in 2016, and uh, I remember hearing the Lord say, your property is going to go off the market. It's a Thursday by Monday. And if you don't partner your faith to my word and partner your faith to my heart for you, you're going to miss it. And it was the most generous, gracious thing the father could have said. But I realized even when we got the property, how how my my heart, because we did end up getting the property, praise the Lord, we got the property. Even after we got the property, and that was such a supernatural thing to get into it, I remember my faith was so weak when it came to the renovation that had to take place and when it came to some of the other properties that we're involved with now and some of the things that we were doing. My faith, I had faith, but it was like a weaker faith or it was like a faith that was like, I don't know how this is going to happen. Anxiety driven faith. It's like, I'd, oh, God's going to do this, but there's anxiety below it because there was an imbalance or even some somewhat of a misunderstanding in my own life towards finances. And of course, I've gone through Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Dave Ramsey, taking some financial management classes. So I have a background in feeling solid. We've, we've always, we've not been debt people, the whole thing, but there's something about that I've never understood until really until I talked to Wesley and his wife, Liz about God's heart over the banking system over finances that I know you're going to hear today. And it's going to help revolutionize your faith to know that God's working there, but it might even help you if you're getting involved with a system that no one's thinking of as something God wants to impact. And yet your 
you're alive and you're spirit with it. Like you're fully alive. Like you're seeing 20 years into the future of what God wants to do. Have courage that God is doing these kinds of things right now. It's not just about what he's doing in the church. He's doing things in markets and places that we've just never seen or imagined before. So I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Exploring the Prophetic Podcast. I have on a dear, dear friend, Wesley Wright from England. I'm so glad you're on today. And Wesley and his wife, Liz, are just some of the dearest people in the world. His wife has been on the podcast before, and she talks really about how to connect to Jesus in a way that is true intimacy. And she she got to tell our story, Wes, about uh, just her background and what God did in her life. And it was such a beautiful story, but you also have your very own background, of course, like everybody. And you are one of the most fascinating people. I think the UK has, I honestly think that, and I love that you're thinking about, uh, the reformation of just whole banking systems, which the, is the backbone of nations. So how did this happen? How did you come into the story? And by the way, hello. <laughs> hello, Sean. And uh, it's a delight to be here. It's a delight to be uh, chatting with you like this and just sharing hearts and sharing um, what I believe is is um, is really on God's heart too. Absolutely. Um, so... Wow, what a question. <laughs> how to, how a huge to, question in a small amount of time. Somehow we're going to quantify this. I know. How, how to bring that down into a succinct answer. Um, I will do my best. Um, so, I think it all stems from having a relationship with God. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, you know, and I, and I know you know this, but when, when you have felt and touched and seen his heart for something... It not only breaks your heart, but there is no choice anymore. That's so good. It, it's, it's a done deal. When, when you have tangibly tasted how he feels and sees and thinks about a given matter, then it not only demands a response from us, but it, it compels us to, to be him in that moment and to, and to do what he would do in that situation. But most people don't think of that in context to banking and finances. Like most people could get that as far as I'm going to be a pastor or I'm going to be humanitarian or a missionary, but you, you and your identity that's so grounded in God and you've had some deep God encounters with him as a father, you somehow saw this industry as a policeman and as somebody who speaks on financial world values. Like how do you bridge that gap? How did that happen? It was, it was over years. It was, um, I go back in my time with him to around about 2002 and I had um, a very special time with him where he, he, uh, he shared with me that one day I was going to be a prophet to nations. Wow. And I held on to that word that didn't actually make much sense to me for years. Um, and, and the reason it didn't make much sense was because exactly what you're saying, most people take a sort of a calling or an unction from the Lord um, as something like to be a pastor or to be a minister. And, and, and that's a, a, a wonderful pursuit. And there are so many people that get blessing and are blessed through that process. And so in that, in that moment, I thought, well, that means I've got to preach and I've got to be a teacher and I've got to be in the church. And, and you know, with respect to that, I, it didn't grasp me. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why is that not exciting mm. me? And I had to hold on to that word for many, many years until I had a profound encounter with the Lord. Um, in 2007, it was November 2007, and um, and you'll be well aware of this when when you're in your God consciousness moments, that yeah. um, 
when you know that you know God is going to say something and do something, there's no doubt in your mind because you know. So there's a difference between knowing and wishing and hoping. So I knew that the Lord was going to speak to me that night about the calling on my life, and he was going to share more with me about what profit to the nations meant. And so I went to bed, I, I read the Bible, I spoke to him, and there was nothing really dramatic. And I thought, oh, maybe I heard wrong. And I thought, no, I, I know I didn't hear wrong. I put my head on the pillow and I was, I was about to go to sleep and I heard this voice and I knew it was the Lord. And he said a really strange thing to me. He said, um, I will use you to shake houses. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, what is he talking about? So I thought, oh, this is just me making this up. And then the voice came again. I will use you to shake houses. I want you to get up and write this down. And I said, shake houses? What do you mean? Churches? You know, I know the house of the Lord, but what has this got to do with shaking the church of the Lord? Does that make any sense? And then he said it to me a third time, but on the third occasion, he added a little bit of an encouragement to it. <laughs> and so what he did is he said, I'm going to use you to shake houses. Get up and write this down. And at that point in time, I had a huge bolt of electricity hit me at the top of my head. Oh, wow. It started at the top of my head and it went through my body. It came out through my toes. And it was such a jolt that I shook in my bed. The bed shook on the floor. And he reiterated to me, get up and write this down now. And he proceeded to tell me about an A4 page worth of notes of what wow. that call looked like. So I guess you'd say that's probably where it started, Sean. That's amazing. I love, I mean, here's the thing is that anybody who's going to bring a prophetic encounter to the world around them, especially outside in culture, is going to have to have an encounter. And you're going to have to have deep, ongoing encounters of intimacy and connection. You're such a model of that. I know many of our listeners won't have known you because you're not in the church mountain, but you do share in, in churches at times. You share in that space, but you're sharing in banking houses. And from the time God spoke it to you in 2002 to 2007, that's a five-year period where you had some undefined revelation there, which is pretty, I'm sure was somewhat confusing at times, but also intriguing. But so, so give us the process from 2007 when you heard that, like what started to happen? So from that point in time, there was some quite interesting encounters, <laughs> revelation. Um, interesting. <laughs> and <laughs> well, <clears throat> so what I found with me is that, that he, quite often doesn't give me the answer to a question that he'll ask me. Um, and so he will then take me through a process of questioning me. Um, like I shared with you one where he, he said to me, don't call me dad, uh, don't call me father, call me dad. And so that was an intimacy process with him. And I was calling him father and he stopped me in the process and he said, so why, why are you calling me father? And I went, um, well, because, because, uh, your dad. He said, well, why do you call me dad? I said, well, because a dad protects, provides, listens to me, cares for me, goes on the journey with me. He said, stop. Don't call me father again. Call me dad. And I realized why. It's because he wanted the emotional connection. And he was after the connection of my heart, which was wrapped up in the word dad, because I knew what a dad was. So that was a process he took me on in the finance realm based in intimacy with him. 
And then he started to show me what the financial world was doing. And he would say, so contrast that action with how my heart would deal with that situation. And so that was profound for me because it's based on what Jesus says, by their fruits you shall know them. Yeah. Because obviously if you know the fruit, you know the root. If you know the root, you know the DNA. If you know the DNA, you know the source. If you know the source, you know the being behind the source. So that taught me how to look at a situation, to look at an establishment, to look at systems, and to then start to discern who the source of the system was. Oh, wow. And if it was a system that was based and sourced from God, you would feel, see, taste, and see that the fruit of it was love. And so he went through a process of showing me, what about this? What about that? Look at this. Look at a mortgage contract. Look at a financial contract. Look at the law around it. Can you find me in there? Taste it and see it. And part of the tasting and seeing was going through a whole legal process to taste and see the fruit and to contrast that fruit with the fruits of the Spirit. So that's part of the process the Lord had me go on was to identify a system source by tasting and seeing whether the fruit is good, because the Lord invites us to taste him. And of course, tasting him, the root of that is actually, do I decide whether this is good or bad? So he's allowing us to almost judge him based on how we experience him. Anyway, so that's just well, no, it's, it's super fascinating because like even you, like what, what our listeners may not know or wouldn't know is that you're actually dissecting contracts and have been for years in the banking system and looking for the language that's violating towards family, violating towards people's finances long-term. You're looking at language and trying to bring a justice-based banking system that doesn't exist yet in the midst of a banking system that very is very motivated, I think, by greed and very motivated by, I think, like the hierarchy of it you know, uh, the wrong hierarchy of a a whole system that's not for the benefit of the common man, it's for the benefit typically, I know I'm not anti-banking at all, but it's typically a wrong system that's in place. And so you're looking at these contracts and have studied tens of hundreds of thousands of pages of contracts, all the legal, the legal stuff, and you're tasting to see if it's good or not. And you guys are now planning new systems based on what's not working and what is working. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's the intention. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm, I, yeah, I'm fascinated by you know when you you just said you know there's a we're looking to try and implement a, a system that is fair that is righteous um, that doesn't exist yet and I and I would wholeheartedly agree with you that that's certainly in the financial system doesn't exist yet um, and it's quite it's quite difficult to get something like that established. Um, but we are actually, I'm working with a, a very dear friend of mine, Professor Richard Werner. Um, he's a German economist. And uh, his claim to fame, if you want to call it, is um, he coined the term quantitative easing. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty sure most people will understand or know of that phrase. Most central bankers around the world would use that phrase. And he basically is heading up um, an idea which is um, a community bank. And the community bank is a, get this, not-for-profit bank. <laughs> Which, has that ever <laughs> happened before? <laughs> I don't think there's such so a thing it would, al- it would almost seem counterintuitive because obviously the whole reason for a bank is profit, right? Absolutely. Um, 
So the idea is that it will make profit, but it is not a profit motive driven establishment. And the idea is that that profit is um, used to go back into the local society, to go back into local um, green initiatives, to go back into local job creation, um, to help try and lower carbon footprint within the the localised area, um, and the like. So it's it's a fascinating project. I'm honoured to be part of it and work with it uh, and work with Richard. And um, it is... I was just going to say with, with Richard and there's, it's, it's interesting to hear about him because there's a lot of people right now that you're coming in contact with that have a reformer mindset towards banking. You're being led more in a reformer mindset because of God, but are you meeting other people who are saying, this is what we're hearing, whether they're Christians or not, this is what we're feeling. This is where banking has to go. Or is it, are you guys still rare? I, uh, the funny thing is I think we're more rare in the church than the world. I know that's a very strange phrase, but I think that, um, yeah, I, I think there is a groundswell of people, both in the church, in other religions, and in in the world, that can clearly see that this system we have, that's called finance, doesn't actually work for the general population, and it doesn't work for the general good of the general population. Yeah, it offers a service, and it offers a, a process, and it offers a means of exchange and a means to do business, but. Um, that's about where it stops for the for the sort of average individual, um, but uh, yeah, we are a growing number, um, and I think that as the church, really, we should be the ones that bring the answers because we actually are the ones that can taste and see the Lord's heart and bring His heart into a given situation. For example, finances, which is interesting because one of the things. One of the things you talk about and one of the things you've prophesied about or has been prophesied over you is that abolishing debt slavery, like you're an abolitionist, believing that debt slavery is actually one of the things that keeps and holds us back from our, our true potential in God. Can you talk about that a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. Of course. Of course. Yeah. A hugely passionate area of my heart, um, which has been ignited by the Lord. Um, you term the phrase debt slavery. Um, I, I would like to term it slightly different. Um in that it's the slavery component to financial debt. Now, just to sort of elaborate a little bit on that, not all debt is bad. Mm. So take, for example, I have a debt of gratitude for being involved in what you're doing here with Bowles Ministries, but that's not an abusive debt. It's an honoring debt, it's a thankfulness. You know, I have a debt of gratitude for the Lord for what he's done in my life. That's not an abusive debt. If a debt of love is given, it's not an abusive. It's a reciprocal so awesome. giving. Okay, so not all. So this is why we need to clarify: not all debt is bad. When you have a slavery component to a debt, that's when it becomes. May I say it? That's when it becomes evil. Yeah, and that's what you're you're finding, and you're actually you're speaking into whole industries right now. Like God's brought you as a consultant into world banking, trade commissions, these kinds of things. How are they receiving your message? I know sometimes it's stealth, sometimes it's just outright. How are they receiving it? Uh, yes, it is sometimes stealth, and sometimes it's very overt. Um, if it's put in a guise that is what I would term kingdom, so it's more stealth, it's not sort of a Christian-driven process, then it tends to be received somewhat better. Yeah. Um, and so there's language that we can use, you know, fairness, um, which is a very, you know, something that's fair and right and just it, it is a what I would call a ubiquitous term that 
um, it is a kingdom term but also can be used in a worldly sense because obviously the judicial processes use the term just as well and they use the term fair yeah. so bringing fairness and just into the process and, and, and having that but also I think one of the most foundational laws that we have is that as Jesus says do as you be done by um, in legal speak it's quid pro quo um, and so to try and educate people at this level bringing in the mindset of a quid pro quo to allow people to open their mind to say that actually contracts should not be wholly biased in the favour of banks and creditors but there should be a quid pro quo arrangement and why is that the case well because when you have the slavery component i wouldn't say slavery component in a professional context but you have a an unfair component in the professional context um then it creates a disparity between the two parties and so that good. arises for for an unfairness unfairness can arise to an abusive process so it's not received as well as i'd like it at the moment <laughs> but it but <laughs> <laughs> because but you're if, still being invited we, to the conversation, which is really good. We are, and we have we have a voice, and the voice is starting to grow louder, and we're able to speak with more authority because we have a little bit more power to actually back up the authority we have. And of course, people who I speak to on a, on a daily basis, who are members of the public and ministers like yourself, they they can catch the heart of this. And if we can actually help non-believers and other religious believers to catch the heart of what the Lord wants to do it is a ubiquitous process that people are so attracted to at a heart level that if we can capture that then we can start to create a shift at a tipping point yeah I don't know that people even think about on the average Christian I'm just talking about Christians the average Christian dreams with God over what he thinks about world finance and here you're brave enough to dream with God based on your encounters to see just one of the ideas you have is the bank that gives back society to society in its area. And this can be multiplied by, by the thousands around the world. And it's working in third world nations. There's some of these models in third world nations that are literally a backbone of banking now in certain countries. But as far as a Western mindset banking, where you're actually dreaming with God saying God, and at one point you had a face to face encounter with God. Now this is important because I think all encounters are important, but I think sometimes something happens when you have more of a face to face and you, I, I, I'm refreshing your memory, but you, you'll be able to tell me, but basically God said, love is life and life is love and life is what love is all about. And then addresses the, the power str struggle. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, I mean that encounter and two other counters are the three most profound in my life. <clears throat> and it was actually the Lord that called it a face to face encounter. And the reason he called it a face-to-face -face encounter was because he said, look at how you felt. What did you feel? What did you see? What did you realize? What revelation did, was shown to you? Did, what did you understand? The immersion of total experience with him in that moment wow. suddenly became the face-to-face -face encounter. And I went, oh, wow. And when he said that phrase to me, you know, uh, love is life and life is love and love is what life is all about, his phrase, it just made perfect sense. And it rocked my world because I realized that anything that doesn't have a source in love is not only irrelevant, is actually death. Yeah. I know that's a bit, bit you know, serious, but hey, let's get this right. There's only two trees. There's love and, lo love and death, you know, sorry, love and, yeah. love and fear. Fear is death and love is life. So, yeah. so we have to operate, we have to live in love. And then we have to exude so much of the love that the systems 
either get changed or we migrate to a system that is founded on love. Wow. And I like one of the things you said is power is money. And um, there's a God hates the disproportionate distribution of power on earth. I'm just reading the notes because that was so profound. You you said that to me at one point, but that was part of that encounter is that, that God actually is judging the system. He's saying, I have something that's better and you're seeing it. And even in this podcast, like some people are hearing this going, I've never thought of that before. Or if they thought of it, it's like, oh, wow, there's someone actually who's influencing influencers on that sphere of authority to say, there's a better plan. There's a better way. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh gosh, and when you've seen what the, what the Lord's heart is for, for what finances should be, oh my goodness. I mean, for me, carrying the, the dis, sort of the, how can I put it? Liz puts it in a beautiful way. When you're carrying what you can see in the future with what is now, and the disparity between the two is it's like a thorn in one side, like Paul says, yeah. because you can see what the Lord's heart is. You can taste it. I've tasted his heart for this stuff. And the different difference and the disparity between what we have and what his heart is breaks my heart. Because when you realize that actually money could serve mankind, when you start to think, what would it look like if money served man? And I'm talking about the general population now. Yeah. What would it look like if it served us rather than us give our life to serve it? I mean, I I mean it's phenomenal when you think of that. <laughs> it's like, hallelujah, I, uh, please, God. That's what we need yeah. so much. I mean, yeah. everything could change if we just had the right structure in place. And oh, God oh my. I mean, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's right. You know, um, but everything is founded on love. As you know, I mean, you're one of the, one of the, largest proponents of the Lord's heart of love that my wife knows and talks about. I mean, she always goes on about how you are so founded and grounded in his love and bringing a culture of love into the in various industries. And of course, for you, the industry of Hollywood. And of course, it's the same for banking. It's the same for money. It's the same for all the mountains. Love you know what, is the you benchmark. Know what, though, until I met you, you were the first person who define that for me for banking. I never thought of it. And I don't know why I never thought of it. I think some other listeners are probably thinking the same thing. Like, wait a minute, God had a plan over finances. It's, it's where your heart, where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. It's how you learn how to treasure what God has in your life, or you become a slave to something. So you can never truly treasure God. You can't, you can't do it in fullness. And so I, I'm just so glad we get to hear from you. Uh, this podcast went way too fast. I can't believe how fast it went, but is there any way that people can track what you're doing? I know they can track through what Liz is doing, but is there any, do you have a public website or is there any, any way to follow you? If there's not, we understand. Yeah, I do. Um, I do have a website. Um, it's banking reformation. And so if you type in bankingreformation.com, um, it'll come up with, uh, with the website. Um, I'm on there. You can subscribe to our mailing list and I do a, a mailing list to give people an update of what we're doing, um, the sort of next steps, uh, and also the website for the bank, which is Hampshire Community Bank. How um, am I not so on, your, on your email list? I'm signing up right now, literally as you're talking. I'm like, how did I not get on your list somehow? So I'm now on your list, and so will all of our listeners. <laughs> Thank you so much. We, I so appreciate you, and thanks for just opening our eyes. It's just so important. A pleasure. 
Words of knowledge are such a confusing topic until you understand the biblical framework about them. They appear over 60 times in scriptures in both Old and New Testament, and it's so practical and understanding God's heart and mind when you just get it. So I wrote a book called God's Secrets, How to Develop a Lifestyle of Walking in Words of Knowledge. I want to encourage you to get the book. It's an audiobook. It's an ebook. You can also get the course. But if you go on this journey with us, something's going to happen inside of you where you're going to find yourself knowing what's in God's heart and relating those thoughts in everyday situations. And people are going to respond to you very differently. You're going to create opportunities and choices that didn't exist before hearing from God this way. Come on the journey of knowing God's mind, His intentions for the world around you. It'll change you and it'll change your friends and family. www.bullsministries.com.